Hello, Worcester and the world. This is Public Hearing, a podcast and radio show from Action by Design about engaging communities to address social problems in a way that centers equity, justice, and the pursuit of joy-filled futures for everyone. I am your host and founder of Action by Design, Joshua Croak. I am back with Danae McCallum and Doug Arbiter to continue our conversation about being involved in local politics and local government here in the city of Worcester. We left off last time, Doug was uh, starting to detail the uh, logistics of boards and commissions, and I cut him short because of our time. So we are going to pick back up the conversation around boards and commissions. So Doug, I'm going to pass you the mic, and let's uh, keep talking about all things Worcester. All right. Um, So yeah, to circle back a bit, I uh, stopped in the last episode talking about how you would go about to join one of these boards and commissions. And so, again, you would go to the website, the the City of Worcester website. You would submit your application, which is your resume, your letter of interest. You can pick up to, like, two or three boards you're interested in or want to be considered for, um, even though you can only serve on one at one time. Um, And then after you submit your application, you'll be invited to the next citizen advisory council meeting. And that, that board is responsible for the first round of basically reviewing applicants. Um, and so that's a relatively large board. They can ask you questions about your experience, your interest, um, things like that. You do have to be a resident of Worcester for the, the previous one year. Um, and then so if they are in agreement... Um, that so if you apply to more than one, they may you know have a holistic conversation about which one you may like be interested in for, and they might approve you for one and not for the other, or they may approve you for both and leave it up to the manager to decide what to place you on. So basically, if you get approved by the Citizens Advisory Council, you um, move forward and meet with representatives from the administration. Um, usually, like there's an HR person who's responsible for boards and commissions. They'll ask you some questions, more details about your experience and interest. Um, and then what they'll do is if they think you're the person, they will. you will then actually have a meeting with Ed Augustus. And he just likes to ask a few questions, know your background, stuff like that. And then um, depending, as I mentioned in the previous episode, depending on what type of board it is, Um, he will either put your name on the agenda to be confirmed by the city council if it's advisory, um, or he may just put your name on the city council, letting them know as like an announcement that you've been appointed to some executive or regulatory board. And I would just add the one caveat to that is for the board of election commissioners in particular, those nominations actually come from you have actually two representatives from the uh, from the Democratic two Democratic representatives, two Republican, and then one unenrolled. Um, and so how how it typically has worked is the Democratic City Committee has put forth. Um, individuals to be considered, um, or a couple of individuals to be considered, and then um, the uh, city manager, as Doug had mentioned, actually makes makes that determination. So I, I don't believe when I became a member of the Board of Election Commissioners, I don't believe I had to go through... Um, I think you were the only one who... No, 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 it was somebody else. There uh, was someone, someone uh, okay. else who was... I was. What I was saying is uh, I don't think I had to go through 
the citizen so advisory council yeah. um, for yeah. for this for this yeah. particular boarding yeah. boarding commission. So that's just one one caveat or one thing I would add for that position. Great, yeah, and that I guess that makes sense to have like different partisan participation on the right. elections and commission. Is, is the unenrolled member always the chair of the board of elections? No, no, okay. no. It just happens. It, it's it, it apparently it's by vote of okay. the of the board. Okay, so. Interesting. And so you, in our last episode, you were talking about some of the boards and the commissions that folks can join. What are some of the ones that kind of stand out to you or ones that folks who might be interested in getting involved um, might have interest in learning more about? Yeah, so um, we have the Human Rights Commission um, is actually a very active board. Um, they field complaints from Worcester residents that may be related to discrimination based on race, based on sexual orientation. Um, they were involved in conversations related to police conduct a bit um, over the past few years. Um, as I mentioned in the last episode, the Board of Health is an executive board, um, and they can set public health policy for the city, um, zoning board of appeals, planning planning board. They are Worcester residents, and they have to yay or nay proposals from developers to build um, and to start projects in the city. So there are some pretty. I mean, yeah. it, it's it's kind of it's amazing when you think about it. Like how much you know power we're able to give to just unelected residents who want to serve the city, right? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I, part of what we did on the, you know, as a member of the, what I did as a board, a member of the board of election commissioners, I mean, we approve changes in, not that I'm proud of our record on everything, but, (laughs) um, you know, we make changes to polling locations. Um, the board of election commissioners will be involved in, uh, voting on the proposed changes to, uh, uh, the school committee in terms of, you know, adding the extra district and so forth. So, um, and, you know, we aren't necessarily people who have a whole lot of experience with, um, with, with, you know, setting, setting policy around voting, but as a member of the community, you have the opportunity to be involved in something, as Doug said, that's really significant. And I know Doug didn't mention his board as being the board that the Community um, Development Advisory uh, Committee as being sort of important. I mean, it's an advisory committee, but I still see it as one of the more important boards because that board is actually making making recommendations regarding how the city should use its the funding that it's receiving for a whole host of services. And so um, to be involved in something that has the ability to impact the community so significantly, I would say that that's, that, that is certainly up there in terms of boards for people to consider being involved. Yeah, in. I mean, we get, I mean, the city of Worcester um, basically gets like four, I think around $4 million from HUD. Um, and... One point like six of it is allotted to public services, and so the CDAC is responsible for re- reviewing those applications for that like one point six million dollar pot of money. Mm. Um, and you know we use that money to support organizations like um, ACE, African Community Education. Um, the uh, there's like a whole host of them. Um, but um, we also use that money to 
we can allot a certain amount of money for like capital improvements. So like we've helped fix the elevators for say like the YMCA mm. or the YWCA, um, stuff like that. So it's, you know, really important community work that we get to support. And we also get to, see, what I like about it is we get to see the results of like that money and, and being able to see how many folks, um, these organizations like friendly house, like get to help because of like this federal funding that we can help distribute to them. Right. Right. And Danae, you mentioned the, um, decisions that are being made surrounding the redistricting for the school committee. So for listeners who are, might be unfamiliar, there was a, uh, lawsuit filed, um, to the city over, um, the structure of the school committee because the, um, the position was that the at-large structure of our school committee didn't allow for proper, adequate representation of the diversity of Worcester's community to be represented in that body. And so the lawsuit was filed. The city did not fight the lawsuit and said, we're going to commit to changing the structure of the school committee and went through a process to engage community in talking about the possible forms that the new structure could take, um, which that was something that I was involved in a handful of conversations. And it was still something that I thought was pretty confusing thinking about, yeah, thinking about like, okay, what does it look like if we move from at large? Do we just mirror the, um, the, formation of the city council and go to five uh, district seats and six at-large seats. But then in order for the school committee to actually have representation from the districts, there was a requirement that one of the districts in the city be minority majority, which currently the five Worcester districts do not have. So there needed to be a sixth district added for the school committee. And so now the decision that's been made to change the structure of the school committee is that there are going to be six district seats and two at-large seats for a total of eight school committee members in addition to the mayor who serves as the chair of the school committee. Did I get all of that right? I I think you actually have a pretty solid understanding of it. I mean, I was, I think I've personally been, you know, sort of wrecking my brain trying to wrap my head around it. Um, Because although the elections commission was actually named in the lawsuit, the elections commission wasn't involved in any of the executive sessions to sort of determine what was going to happen in terms of what the city would agree to. So you got sued technically. I did. I technically got sued. (laughs) Um, But so I, so I, I do think your understanding of it is correct. And I do, I mean, I think, I think it's going to, I think it's a, I just want to say for the record, I think it's a positive thing for, for the city to have some equal representation. I think it's important, obviously, that members of the community have a right to elect people or have the opportunity, I would say, to elect people who they believe would strongly represent their values and so forth. And that's just not the case right now. Um, I do think it's going to be challenging. Um, and there is that part of me that says, absolutely not. They should not have followed the same structure as the city council. But perhaps the city council might look into following the same structure as as the school committee to sort of limit confusion. I don't think that would happen, but I think 
you know, if you if you're if they're proposing a uh, at least one uh, majority minority minority district, then I think the same should be true of city council. Right. Yeah, and the thing that I think is going to be wildly confusing for folks is that their neighbor, a street over, might be voting for a different school district councilor versus their city councilor district, right? right? They'll they'll have the same city councilor, but different school committee representatives. Right, which is, and one of the other arguments I heard that kind of opposed or challenged the district seats for uh, schools was that maybe this will create an imbalance of folks advocating for school quality only for the schools within their district and they're being like, but again, like there's like 18 million vantage points that come into these conversations. And I think one of the challenges that the city faces and something that I, as a resident have been frustrated about before is like the level in which the community is engaged and given space to learn and become educated around these things. It's like, if you can attend one of the four or five, you know, information sessions, uh, you're kind of on your own to figure this out. And even those information sessions can be kind of confusing because I've attended multiple. And as someone involved in a lot of these conversations, particularly around the school committee because of my work in the education space, it's it's a lot, <laughs> right? And so how do we think about and acknowledge the challenge that folks feel related to getting involved in voting and like participating in that process because it is kind of confusing and us adding this new layer of kind of confusion with the different districts that are going to exist. Yeah. So something that I don't know the answer to, and I'd like to find out. So remember how I mentioned that like the city council can't direct or order administration employees. And I'm pretty sure it's similar for the school committee. They go through the superintendent. So I'm interested, you know, you know, we will this new system where we have district representation, because obviously like if you have an issue with your schools, you're going to go to your representative on the school committee. But if your issue is with your school's principal, the school committee member, I don't believe as of right now, would be able to just like email the principal and be like, figure this out for mm. my constituent. I think really their rec- when if it's an issue at that level, I mean, the school committee's recommend- member's recommendation may just be, yeah, you know, uh, I can help you make an appointment with the quadrant manager or something like that. But like beyond solely just having like a someone who's representing like electorally, I don't know how it improves and I'm curious to find out how it improves actually advocacy on behalf of that district mm. or like, or improves access for constituents when they have issues with the schools. And another component of this, which we haven't talked about yet, which I'd love um, either of you to, to talk a little bit about is of the folks who are registered to vote in the city and who registers to vote. We have, you know, some information about that and it's, really strongly geographically centered right in the the west side of Worcester is the highest majority of folks who are voting and what the demographics of that those communities look like as opposed to the city as a whole so can we talk a little bit about kind of the demographics of Worcester's voter population um, compared 
or contrasted to the folks who are here, you know, in our community? So, <laughs> um, so I don't have, I'm, so I'm, I, the reason I hesitated is because I don't have specific statistics. Doug might since he's a statistician. But what I can say is anecdotally, at least where I live, um, which is in the, the main south area of, well, which is considered the main south area of Worcester, um, voter turnout is extremely low um, in comparison to, say, for example, the west side of the city. So in, in Ward 8, for example, you have, in the 2018 election, you have um, eight in 8-1, eight you had 1,600 registered voters and only 119 votes cast for, for this particular election. And then in 8-2, um, there are uh, 1,686 registered voters and 124 votes cast. So that, to me, says that you know folks in that ward, which is located in District 4, that those folks really are not getting out, getting out to vote. Um, and so I don't know if there's a correlation between so, sort of voter education. Is it a feeling of like hopelessness because it doesn't matter who I vote for, nothing's going to change in my community. Um, it's hard to sort of get to the, to the root cause of why people are not getting out to vote. Are they not coming out to vote because there's no contested elections or whatever the case may be? Um, and I'm or, sure, yeah. well, I was going to say, and I'm sure you have a different, I lived on the west side of the city and my vote, when I did live on the west side of the city, the line would be out, out the door sometimes um, on the west side of the city. Yeah, so I, I also live on the west side. I live in District 5. And so, and so the west side is kind of split between District 5 and District 1. Um, so you have like Tatnick Square, Moreland Street area, West Tatnick, um, and then kind of over like the south, upper Salisbury Street area, um, you know, going towards like Bancroft. Um, and then kind of beyond, and then those districts also extend to like the Burnco area and then the Webster Square area. But both of them share the West Side, um, which has the highest, has always had the highest voter turnout. You're probably seeing like around 30% voter turnout in those precincts and wards um, in, in District 5 and District 1. And the folks who make up those voters are predominantly white um, and predominantly over the age of 50. Um, when I ran for District 5 in 2017, and you know we worked through the data to kind of figure out my target group and to build whose doors I was knocking on, um, I think it was my my voter target population was, you know, something like 80% white and then like 60% over the age of 50, right? Mm -hmm. And so like in these and these are the districts that turn out. Right. Um and so that kind of highlights like the inequities that we have with like our are at large positions specifically um, because you can really get concentrated and it has happened and it often is at large positions are folks who are from the west side of Worcester. Which was, which was one of the problems more specifically even around the, the school committee. I think were all of them from either district, uh, district one or 
Or five. Or five. Yeah, so, the yeah, the yeah, last I mean, council, think, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think Tracy's District 5. I think Molly is District And I think even now, I think the, the majority are... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. majority so. are Westsiders. So, um, so that's the problem, you know. Um, and part of that is, like, the political strategy of running for an at-large seat is go to where the voters are and don't spend your time trying to activate new voters, right? right? That's precisely... Well, that's the thing. It's like, and, that, and you're locked into that because it's like, obviously, like as a young candidate and someone who wanted to have, to expand and, and diversify like pe- the folks who are the pool of voters, but like I, like I have a certain amount of money I raised and a certain amount of time and like if I want to try to win this election, I have to knock on the doors of the people I know who are going to vote. But so it really can't come. And this is the problem is that like candidates like candidates like they should do what they can to get new folks to vote. But like we need non like a nonprofit or we need like a a 501c4 or, or even just like the city to really just like invest in getting new folks registered to vote, learning about our elections, learning about the process and interested in coming out to support people. Um, yeah. Yeah. And And running. Right. And I would say too, I mean, I think, um, again, sort of as the city has and the state has sort of approved more, you know, early vote, uh, early vote by mail, I think, you know, you have started to see the numbers come up some, that's for sure. So people have more, ha- people having more opportunity to actually vote other than one day in, in November or September coming out to vote. I think that that has been um, incredibly helpful. I think some of the other things that the city could look towards implementing was, say, for example, same-day voter registration. So people being able, I know it, you know, people might think it could be a logistical nightmare, but there are other places where they, where they have pulled it off. And I do think that the city could pull off something like same day voter registration. I mean, when I've worked in the elections office, the number of people who are calling to say like, oh my gosh, I thought I was registered to vote, but I'm, but I'm really not. Um, we take a lot of calls um, to that effect. So I think that that's something that the city should consider at some point for sure. Right. We should be is whether it's like whatever, if it's um, like their history class or whatever, like right. if you're a high school student, you turn 18, like schools should be like, you just turned 18, like you can register to vote here and like and or they should even talk about the elections like in like learn about the process like at the high school level. And like, we should be absolutely you know, kids should right. be getting extra credit to vote. Like to, to say they went and voted. Or, didn't you know, or Senator Chandler put forward like legislation that would have re- dropped the voting age to 16 that, but that was not like accepted, I, I, but so I don't know if she put forth legislation, but I know at least in the city of Worcester, there was some discussion yeah. about that a few, a few years back. Yeah. And I don't think it ever, it ever went anywhere, but what, what better way to get, you know, get, young people sort of engaged at an earlier age. Um, And I just think as a whole, um, as a society, I think we've sort of dropped the ball on civic engagement um, and sort of helping young folks understand, you know, understand the process. I mean, I I meet a bunch of adults who don't know who the two, who the, you know, two United States senators are um, here in Massachusetts. So um, so I think it's a a problem as a whole. And we could also, like, I mean, I just like I'm. I'm just tired of having like 
we're just constantly having elections because we're odd year than the state's even year, and it's just like back and forth. It's like we just need to like jump on the even year thing, and then because people aren't just going to vote like if they know that like you know our city elections are moving, they might you know, and we're providing information. They actually might research. They want to know the people they're going to vote for. Right. So, right. T- so touch on that a little bit for listeners who might be unfamiliar that we're in on the off year and like what that means. Right. So like this, the Worcester election cycles happen on the odd year. So it's like that first Tuesday in November on the odd year um, and where our statewide elections happen on the even year. Um, and I mean, the discrepancy between the like voter turnout is obvious and expected um, and I think you, it's a mixture of a lot of things that we've already talked about. You know, I just think like our local elections aren't inviting to new people. Um, and two, people are exhausted from like the previous election year. I mean, like if you, like we all know like how like we put our soul and like, and just like our whole mindset into like presidential elections and like when that election happens, like the last thing I want to think about is like who I have to vote for, for like school committee. Mm. And like, I'm tired and people are exhausted. They like, I mean, it's like we have elections every year. Like people are tired and like if they're on the same year, we can kind of combat that. I think. That's great. So Next week, because we're already almost at time again, um, we want to talk a little bit about, you know, so what can or should I be doing as a resident, right? And we talked a little bit about that today. We talked a little bit about that last week. Um, Just, you know, as prior to that episode, for listeners listening to this episode, I think one of the things that we've, you know, uncovered and, and discussed is like, getting people out to vote is so critical and it can't be solely the responsibility of candidates who are running because we know that that strategy fails and does not work. Right. So, and you know, I'm thinking about my role and involvement with like the queer coalition of greater Worcester. And there is an interest in queer folks getting out to vote. And that's a population that we know has like lower voter turnout numbers, like many other like marginalized groups. Right. And so like, if we're talking about like the power of local elections and like what can change and like what the city council and what the school committee can advocate for in, and, you know, adjusting and changing, um, we need folks to get out and vote and recognize the importance of, of local, local elections. So thank you again, Danea and Doug. Thank you. Thank you. You are listening to the Public Hearing Podcast, our podcast and radio show that airs Wednesdays at 6 p.m. on WICN 90.5 FM, Worcester's only NPR affiliate station, and can be heard wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm still your host, Joshua Croak. If you have ideas for the show uh, or would like to become a supporter or have an idea for a mini season like these ones that we have been doing, uh, our last one was about early childhood education and care, check it out. Um, reach out to our team at publichearing.co. Our audio producer is Juliano DeRazio, who also made our show music. Also, thanks to Molly Gammon and An Dow, who also support the production of this show. Public Hearing is created and produced by Action by Design. More, learn more about our work at actionbydesign.co. And as always, thanks for listening. <laughs>